Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Again, I just want to greet everybody who are here in person and also those who are watching online. It's a joy to be here. I know we are doing a series on the spiritual warfare, the spiritual warfare. And I've been telling you how Christianity has become a commodity and something to promote and to market and to make money. That's what you're seeing around the world. Today I got an email from my, my good friend, Dr. Lal Senanayaka, and we are trying to put together a, a curriculum for a missions outreach, and he was saying how false teachers have infiltrated. And uh, there are many false teachers who are able to entice vulnerable people. And these false teachers tell what the people want to hear and what will appeal to their ears. They use enticing baits, and we spoke about that, giving half the truth. And many are bought and trapped into this religious scam and expecting a blissful, a peace and prosperity and power life. They are drawn to a Christian faith that they even enter into the ranks of the church. They enter into service, into discipleship, into profession of Jesus Christ. They do so without adequate preparation. They do so without really counting the cost. Now, You know that Jesus warned about counting the cost in Luke chapter 14. And they don't, these people don't count the cost. They don't know what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. They are not thinking about the journey ahead. They are not thinking about the race that is set before them. They are not thinking about the battle they have to fight. So when they face challenges, the enemy attacks. They are so inadequately prepared and inadequately armed, they find themselves defeated. And oftentimes they leave the faith and become apostates. And they forsake Jesus Christ because they are ill-prepared. You know, church, this could happen to you. Some of you may be even facing it right now. Or maybe this crosses your mind in your life. So today we are going to talk about preparing ourselves for this battle. We'll talk about getting ourselves armed for the battle that is before us as soldiers of Jesus Christ. So I want to call this study Dressing Up for the Battle. Dressing Up for the Battle. So in the series of this uh, spiritual warfare, we have been looking from the book of Ephesians, chapters from chapter 6, verses 10 to 20, and we spent about a couple of weeks, roughly about two weeks, in the introduction, we're looking at the armor generally, we looked at the battle, we looked at even the enemy and his, and his schemes. And today, we'll be looking in detail of the pieces of armor, the various pieces of equipment that we are called to wear. So we're going to take one armor at a time in the next five weeks, and then a final message on Paul's words 
about prayer, which is found in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 to 20. So today we come to verse 14, which is all about the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. So with that introduction, let's look at today's passage. Now, I want you to notice the command itself in this passage. Paul is writing to the saints in Ephesus, and you know this, this letter is called a circular letter. It's not necessarily to the church in Ephesus. It's applicable to all churches around the globe. Paul says, stand, Paul says, stand. Therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So the command here is to stand. He's already told us to put on the whole armor of God. Now he's saying, I like the NIV translation, it says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the blessed paste of righteousness in place. So the presumption here, church, is that if only we are clothed in the armor that we are able to stand. We have to be clothed in the armor. So when the Apostle Paul tells us how to stand firm against these evil spiritual forces, he lists in these verses, there are six pieces of spiritual armor to put on. And they are on the screen as you can see them. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the sandals of the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And today, we'll be looking at the very first one, the belt of truth. Now, you will see that the armor is a metaphor for Jesus Christ. That's what this armor is. He is the truth. He is our righteousness. Simply put, if we put on Christ as the truth, then surely we will live as truthful people. As truthful people. If we put on Christ as our righteousness, it is an inconceivable that we would live in sin. Look at this passage in Romans chapter 13 verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So it implies that when you put on Jesus Christ, it will be difficult for us to yield to the temptation of the flesh. So in his epistles, Paul alludes that the objective truth of our position in Christ is the foundation for practical righteousness. That's what you're seeing there. In the book of Ephesians, we, we have done a thorough study on that. The chapters 1 to 3 set forth what God did for us when he saved us and placed us in Christ. That is the truth. And verses 4 to 6, in Paul writes about how we must live in light of these truths. That's righteousness. So church, we see this even in this book of Ephesians, how the word truth itself is used by Paul in Ephesians. Look at this. He says the message of truth in chapter 1, verse 13, that, the, that, that is the gospel of your salvation. What he's saying is the truth is the gospel. That's what he's saying here. Another verse here. Speaking the truth in love. 
So truth in our behavior as believers. Next one. Just as truth is in Jesus. He's saying the truth is Jesus. Next one. He says, put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So what he says here is the truth and righteousness are signs of a believer. Look at the next one. He says, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. So that is the outcome or your behavior, truth in your behavior. Look at the last one. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. So truth and righteousness are signs of a believer. That's what Paul is talking about in this. So that's what you see in these verses. So as a result of our being new creatures in Jesus Christ through the gospel, that is when we are made righteous, we are to be truthful people. Truthful people. So putting on the belt of truth involves... We gird ourselves, it's twofold, church. One is with the truth of the gospel and by being truthful people. Twofold, two aspects of that. So Paul is saying here, stand firm. Stand firm against the enemy. Gird yourself with the belt of truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness. So let us break it down now. So Paul says firstly, to stand firm against the enemy, gird yourselves with the belt of truth. So it's important for us to understand how this belt looks like. So I took a picture of that. That's how the belt looks like, sorry. So for the Roman soldier, the girdle or the belt was a leather apron like peace that extended down to the thighs, as you can see that. So it protects the lower abdomen and genital areas. That's what the belt does. So what the soldier does, he tucked his robe or tunic into it so that he could move quickly and without hindrance in the battle. It means that he's ready for a vigorous action. He's ready for a vigorous action action. Now the question is, what truth is Paul talking about here? What is this truth Paul is talking about? The twofold answer, church, is it is God's truth as revealed in the Word. Let me give you the answer and we'll work through this. And the truthfulness and integrity of the believer that's ourselves. So what is truth? This message convicted me so much that I decided to spend time only on the belt of truth today. Belt of truth. And I hope that the Spirit of the Lord will move in your life today and convict every one of us as well. The Webster Dictionary defines truth as this, as conformity to fact or reality. Anybody can look at it. And it says something is true if it is conformable to an essential reality. Therefore, truth does not refer to our biased perceptions of reality, but to what really exists external to ourselves. 
since God is the only essential reality in the universe, He is truth and the standard for all truth. Now, we see this in the Gospels. Whatever statement I make, I want to back it up with the Word of God. We see this in the Gospels. Now, Pilate asked a question to Jesus. Pilate therefore said to him in John 18, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. And he continues to say this. For this cause I was born. Watch carefully. And for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. I, Jesus, have to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So what is Jesus saying here? He is saying that there is an identifiable body of knowledge that may be labeled the truth. And that Jesus himself testified to it. That's what you're seeing here. Jesus referred to him, look at this verse, the only true God, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. If, G, if he is the only eternal self-existent being, then he is the truth. The only unchanging reality in the universe and the Bible clearly says God cannot lie. So what is truth? God is truth. Secondly, how do we know this truth? How do we know this truth? God is truth, that's okay. How do we know it? Jesus Christ is the embodiment or the personification of God's truth. Look at John 1.14. Most of you know this verse very well. No, son, I think we have gone fast. Okay. John 1.14 states this, of Jesus this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld this glory and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. I am the truth. As we saw earlier, Jesus claimed that his reason for coming to this earth is to testify to the truth. That's what he saw earlier. He claimed to speak the truth. So he prayed, even in his prayer, he said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. So if you want to know the truth, we are talking about the truth, the belt of truth, we must come to know God, the truth. And through the one who was the embodiment of the truth, that is Jesus Christ. So what is truth? So far we looked at two things. God is truth, and we get to know God through the one who was the embodiment of the truth, Jesus Christ. Thirdly, from the past scripture again, God's word is, the, is his revelation of truth. God's word. Look at this passage. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God's word is truth. So Paul referred to the Bible and his central message, the gospel, as the word of truth. 
So therefore, church, any deviation from God's word, please listen carefully, is error and falsehood. Because God's word is true. Church, the message of the gospel has transformed over the centuries from the time of creation. We can see that it transformed the lives of both the primitive and illiterate cannibals and the highly educated university professors. Two extremes, you can see. We must hold firmly to the idea that God and His Word as absolute true in every culture, in every ethnicity, in every race, in every language, in every age, it is true. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed Him in John chapter 8, verses 31 to 32, so Jesus said to the Jews, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. So what is truth? God is truth. He is known through his son Jesus Christ. His truth is revealed in and through his word. And his word will protect you from the devil's schemes. Then you ask the question, alright pastor, we know what the truth is now, but how do we put on the belt of truth. How do we put this on? The belt of truth, as I said before, it refers to two things. Both the objective truth that God has revealed in His Word and to the truthfulness that must characterize us as believers. So to so stand firm against the enemy, firstly, Gird yourselves with the core truths of the gospel. Church, please come along with me carefully. We know that we learned when we studied about the enemy that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. So if people get saved, why? Because God opened their blind eyes. God opened it. That's how people got saved. So we are in a battlefield. The first armor, the belt of truth, to put on the belt of truth means you must have been born again by God's word, the truth. That is the very first thing. While sincere believers, we can differ in non-essential teachings, but on the core truth of the gospel, we must agree. Oh, we are not Christians if we don't agree on the core truth of the gospel. The belt will not work for unbelievers. When and if not, the enemy attacks. Church, the enemy will attack you. It's not if. It's when it attacks, when it throws doubts at you, when you encounter this, don't panic if you're a believer. Stop. As a believer, go back to the bedrock of the gospel, which transformed your life. You need to ask this question, who is Jesus Christ to me? I'm encountering an attack from the enemy. Stop. Ask yourself this question. Who is Jesus to me? Are his claims true? Did he die for my sins according to the scriptures? Was he raised from the dead? As the many New Testament witnesses testify, have I experienced the change from blindness to light? 
ask this question. When I encounter the enemy in the battlefield, stop and reflect on who you are in Christ first. Declare, then you can declare, no weapon formed against me can prosper. Why? Because you are a child of God. Not because of your valor or your strength or your intelligence or your power or your position. But because of the God of the gospel who redeemed you. Church, understand this. He did not redeem you to abandon you. Remember that. God did not redeem you to abandon you. So the first thing about the belt is this. And secondly... Wearing the belt simply implies we must gird ourselves with truthful behavior. Not only bearing the truth itself, but truthful behavior. This way is going to hit every one of us. Because it's easy, church, for us to speak the truth. Most of us can, can recite the gospel in our sleep. We have memorized it. We know it. But if it is not demonstrated in your life, when the enemy attacks, you will surely be a victim. Because you have the head knowledge, but your heart is not transformed. So when Paul writes this, in light of the truth of the new man, he says, gospel is the truth that's going to transform you. And then Paul says this. He says in Ephesians 4.25, he says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one body, one another. Therefore, in light of the truth of the gospel, in light of the transforming power of the gospel, in light of what God has done for you, let there be truthfulness in your behavior. That is what belt of truth all means. Put on the belt of truth. Truthfulness. Church, if you are not walking openly before God and truthfully with one another, the enemy has an opening to attack us. If we practice lying and deception, not only do we erode trust, which is at the heart of close relationship with brothers and sisters, we also join forces with Satan, who is a liar and the father of lies. You become one of him and you become an easy prey. So to stand firm against the enemy, we must gird ourselves in daily experience with the truth of belt, the belt of truth, the truth of the gospel and truthful behavior. God is truth, so he loves honesty, truthfulness. That's what God wants. You know, there's a beautiful psalm as I was preparing it. it I, 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 I was reflecting on it, Psalm 32. Please make a note in your, in your notebooks or Bibles or somewhere, and I would like all of us to take some time to reflect on Psalm 32. A beautiful psalm. You know, David begins by this. God tells his people through David is this. Blessed is the man in whose spirit there is no deceit. Wow. So I was very curious and, 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 and I paused and I reflected on this passage. 
David knew both the blessedness of honesty and the wretchedness of dishonesty. He has a man who experienced it. And when he was dishonest in his interaction with Bathsheba and all the other crimes that he committed, what did David do? And when he was convicted, when he was confronted, he went on his knees and cried out to the Lord. And, and you see Psalm 51 is a psalm of repentance. And in Psalm 51, he said, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. And then David says this, listen. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. I have sinned against you. And when you do that, I am going to teach transgressors your ways. And Psalm 32, apparently from the commentators, it is that psalm teaching us, the transgressors, God's ways. So David says, what David says about being not truthful, being dishonest with God and man, he says it was like a wasting disease when you are not truthful. Look at this passage. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you. I came and I repented and I want to live a truthful life. And I did not cover my iniquity. God, I was very open and transparent to you. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. But until such time, David says, when I kept silent... When I was living in sin, my bones wasted away. Wow. So, but when David came clean with God and man, it was a health and refreshment to his soul. God loves honesty. But honesty is often just the beginning of living truthfully, church. Let me walk you through this very carefully because some of us fall into this trap. Honesty is being true to one's actual convictions. See how this is all linked. You might say, I'm honest because this is my conviction. Please listen. But one's actual convictions might not be true. Your convictions might... So it is possible for us to be honest and be wrong at the same time. We can be honest but we can be completely wrong at the same time. If your convictions are rooted on earthly standards, clearly, you can be honest. You think you are right, but you'll be wrong. That's why the Lord said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Only if your convictions are founded on the truth of the gospel, then your honesty and truthfulness would jive. We'll come together. That is why when you wear the belt of truth, the very first thing is the truth of the gospel. If you don't have the truth of the gospel in you, you cannot be truthful in your behavior. That's when it will be pleasing to the Lord. That's the belt of truth Paul is talking about here. So you ask the question, Pastor, how can I know that I'm not being truthful in my behavior? Let's go to the life application now. 
How does it work? Pastor, can you tell me, am I being not truthful in my behavior? How do I know that? Let me give you five signs. It's not five signs. They are not exhausted list. Can be many, but just to stimulate our thinking. Just a checklist. Number one, you pretend to be someone you are not. There is no honesty in you. You take the pain and effort to look sanctimonious, holier than thou, divine and sinless. You want people to believe that you are more righteous than others. And how did Jesus describe these people? You are the whitewashed tombs. Wow. That's scary. Inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness, outwardly righteous to men, but inside full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Here's the warning, church. Though you may triumph for a little while, you can fool a few people, but you will ultimately be discovered. Are you that person? You pretend to be someone that you are not. Number two, you love the praise of men. You look righteous because you highly value the praise of men. Jesus wants them again in Matthew chapter 6. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites, but in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. And he goes on to say, For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street, that they may be seen by men. Are you looking for praises? Of men. Or do you want the Lord to say on the day that you are taken to heaven, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Number three, you love to correct others. You are more concerned on correcting others than, than yourselves. You think you're right all the time. You take it yourself to correct others. You may be right in identifying the sin of others when you see one, but you must first, the Bible says, correct yourself before you can correct others. Jesus says, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own? So be careful, church, at judging others when you don't even take the effort of correcting yourself. Number four, you put more importance in man-made traditions. You value man-made traditions. What do I mean by that? You create man-made traditions to create more opportunities to look pious. And Jesus says in Matthew 15, thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. You have some traditions, you have some, secure, you have some set of rules for your lives. You come to church, you watch online, you do what needs to be done, and after going to church, you spend the rest of the day in festivities, and in most cases, forgetting what you learned in the church. You have a tick mark, I've done this. Are you one of those people? Number five, you are far from God. What do I mean by that? 
God does not excite you anymore. God is more of a Santa Claus. You come with the grocery list. Can we pray? Can you please pray for me? You disregard God's commandments and replace it with your own inventions. You have no time for prayers, no time for Bible studies, you have no time for devotions, no time for fellowship, no time for God's people, for ministry or for missions. You are not sharing your faith with anyone. You shy away from talking about God. You may serve, but your heart is far away. Church, I want to appeal to you lovingly. If any of these characteristics are true of you, you're not wearing the belt of truth. You're not living truthfully. When the enemy attacks, and he will, you will succumb to his schemes. You will be, you are his prey, and the downfall is imminent. It's coming. So I appeal to you to act before it's too late. Here's what the Hebrew writer says in Hebrew chapter 3. It's a long passage, but please bear with me. It's a warning to us. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with the generation and said they always go astray in their heart. And they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath. See how God finishes it. They shall not enter my rest. Not only you become prey to the schemes of the devil, you will not enter his rest. Let me qualify this statement, please, church. Paul is obviously writing to the believers how to face spiritual warfare. That's what you're looking at. And one of the armor is the belt of truth. So if you are a believer, you will put, on, put your life right with God. You will repent when you are convicted. You will do everything and live truthfully. But to those, this message is not convicting. If this message is con not convicting, I would want to ask you, who is Jesus to you? Have I truly committed my life to him? If you are not responding to this call, only the unbeliever would do that, then you will not enter his rest. But if you are a believer, if you are responding to this call, a believer would do that, you will be overcomers in the battle of the devil by living truthfully. I know it is a harsh message, but we need to hear it. I need to hear it. You need to hear it. So you ask the question, Pastor, how do I walk in truth? Well, you told me the checklist of how do I walk in truth. Very quickly, I just want to give you a series of exhortation tests. Number one, you walk in truth when you walk in the light. It's, the passage of Scripture is there. You can take it home and read it. Our, life, our style of life is gradually conformed to what God has revealed to us about His nature and will. You walk in truth when your life is marked by sensitivity to sin and repentance and confession. You are quick to repent. You will make mistakes and you will fall, but you are quick to repent. Then you are walking in truth. You are walking in truth 
if you keep God's commandments. You, so in order to keep God's commandments, you, want, you desire to know God's will. You strive to obey it. You mourn your disobedience. Number four, you walk as Christ did. You desire to imitate Christ. You grow in conformity to Him. When was the last time somebody came to you and told you, I see the fragrance of Jesus emitting from you? That's when you're imitating Christ. Someone from the secular world, someone from outside should come and tell you, oh boy, I see the fragrance of Jesus emitting from you. Number five, you love other Christians. You desire their fellowships. You seek to serve them in deed and truth. Number six. We shall overcome. Okay, so I need your help. Okay. Please bear with me. Okay. You increasing contempt for the world. Let me explain that to you. You reject all that contradicts the Bible in your standards. Whatever that may come your way, you're going to check against the Scriptures. Number seven, you profess Christ to be God and hold Him in the highest esteem. No matter what happened, you're talking in, you're walking in truth when Christ supremely reigns in your life, in every circumstance. When you're faced with trials, you're seeking God and not another person. Number eight, you walk in truth when your life is marked by a longing and practical pursuit of holiness. I want to be holy all the time. That's your desire. Number nine, you are practicing righteousness. You are doing those things that conform to God's righteous standards. And the last thing is you walk in truth because you have overcome the world. Although you are often hard-pressed and weary, you press on in faith, you continue following Christ and do not turn back. You know, I don't want to say the story over and over again, but I cannot stop it as I go through this. You know, I told you that my sister-in-law died of cancer, stage 4, in Sri Lanka. Here's a woman, in my opinion, in my observation, who walked in truth. She was in stage 4, and the days are numbered. And she was sitting in Vatala in Sri Lanka, and we talked to her daily on Skype. Every time I call her and I want to pray with her, she would encourage me than me encouraging her. I ask her, I call her Annie because she's kind of my brother's wife. Annie, how are you? I am fine, Celia. I am fine. Stage four. The days are numbered. I am fine. You're hard pressed and weary and press on in faith. If you are doing that, you're walking in truth. You're walking in truth. In the midst of the storm, you're able to say, my God is good. You're able to say that I stand in the, from fight from the victor's end.
That's when you can say. Everything has failed. You have lost your job. You don't have a house. You don't have anybody to feed you. You can still say, my God is good. You're walking in truth. If you're doing that. Shall you stand, please? Worship team, please come. Let me pray with you right now as the worship team comes. Son, can you bring up the verse on it is so sweet to trust in Jesus? Just the first verse, if you don't mind. Son, can you just lead this? Just this. Uh, I want all of us to close our eyes. And I want you to talk. I'm talking to the believers. I want you to know that you can trust in Him. You can take Him at His word. That's what you heard today. And you can rest upon His promise. Can you just close your eyes and just may these words ring in your ears. Speak the truth and cause the transformation today. Can you sing? Jesus, to trust in Jesus Just to take Him at His word just to rest upon his promise, just to know the Savior. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him and how I Heavenly Father, that's our declaration this morning. Every one of us here, Father, we come from different walks of life, different challenges we are facing in our own lives, oh God. And today you have spoken to us loud and clear that in order for us to face this battle, we need to put on or wear the belt of truth. And not only being children of God, knowing the truth of the gospel that transformed us, but also to live truthfully. And we admit that we have failed you miserably, but today, help us, O oh God, to renew our faith and to, Father, to trust in Jesus Christ in every circumstance, in every situation, and to know and to be reminded that you're fighting from the victor's end. So help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.